Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of My Backstage Pass. It's Billy Hubbard, and today, well, my co-host Lee Zimmerman, he's actually out of the studio, but we're excited to share Lee's recent Zoom interview with Chris Robinson, lead singer and founding member of the Black Crows. So, uh, hang in here with us and enjoy. It's a good one. I, I've, uh, I've interviewed you before, but... I have to admit, as Meg knows, this is my first ever interview on Zoom. First ever. Wow. You haven't been very busy during this pandemic then with interviewing. I've people. been very busy. We've been doing social Zooms. Oh, wow. My wife sets them up. I don't even know how to do this. She set this up for me. At this point, I don't know how to change the channel on my TV set. It's just all too much. Dude. We moved to, we live in a place called Saw Pit, Colorado. We're like 16 miles from Telluride. Oh. And we live on the side of a cliff and we fucking watch DVDs. You know what I mean? We're going back in time. Like we have no, we can't stream anything. Or, you know, it's funny. Uh -huh. You don't get the connections. No, no. Colorado. I'm jealous, though. I love Telluride. I, I assume you've been to the T Telluride Bluegrass Festival or Film Festival or any of those. I mean, uh, will you just do me a favor, but, like, just hang till that guy brings us a couple beers so I don't have to get up during the interview? I want one. Did he bring one for me? Yeah, uh, yeah. That's why it's ceremonial. Uh, I haven't – I've been to uh, – I mean – CRB, we've played, we played here every winter a couple of nights, but CRB played the Blues and Brews. We played a thing called the Ride. Where's the phone? We played, and then the Black Crows played there too. Oh, okay. All right. Hold on. I thought maybe that would be like a major sort of rock star call from Keith Richards or something, and I'd be witness to the interaction, but no. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, yeah, no. just just nine thousand feet. <laughs> wow, it must be beautiful out there. I live in East Tennessee, and it's pretty beautiful. But our mountains—I mean, your mountains make our mountains look like you know anthills. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. I mean, I'm in Mountain Village at the at one of the hotels today because we don't have internet. But I mean, yeah, it's beautiful. It's it's. It's powerful. The mountains are powerful. You yeah, know? They this are. place yeah. is gorgeous and wild. And I mean, I feel we're pretty lucky to be up here, my wife and I. And how long uh, you been there? How long you lived there? We left Marin in October, so only about four oh, or five wow. months. In. Wow, gosh. Yeah. perfect place to be during the pandemic when you have to be socially distant anyway. So. Sort of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, she's a skier, so she skis every day. Nice, nice. I'm a little, I'm a little jealous and bitter at this point. I, I don't know if I can continue, but I'll try. <laughs> so, um, so you're re-releasing the first album. Um, so. I mean, when you look back at that album now, I mean, is there a certain amount of nostalgia do you does it bring you back to what it was like when you walked into that studio kind of as novices i mean what feelings does it evoke in you uh return yeah i mean it's funny because i'm not a person affected by nostalgia like i don't listen to 
you know, like listening to that, I was just listening to music when you got like, but listening to like uh, that first or second wire record from 1978 or whatever, like it does, to me, yeah. anytime I, or like this morning, I'm listening to Tampa Red and Big Maceo while I was, you know, in the bath. So, okay. When music to me is alive when it's happening, when it's connecting with you, you know? So when I, I can, I look back at, at it and I see, I don't know, my dyslexia probably gives me a, an outsider's perspective on everything, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what I see is, oh, killer. Cool. You can just put it over there. I'll grab it. No, no, I'll deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Hold on a sec. Thank you. No problem. I love these insights, this inside glance at the rock star existence. <laughs> it's taking away the mystique and just showing us what it's really like here. It's, it's great. I don't know. Thanks, man. You too. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, that's cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, shit like that. Like, what's a rock star? What did it? What was it? What was that? You know what I mean? Because it doesn't exist anymore. I mean, maybe to, on the outside, but I haven't felt like a rock star in many, many years. I feel like a working musician. I feel like a songwriter. Mm -hmm. I feel like a, you know, a person of poetic construct. You know. Mm -hmm. But it's funny because the the whole idea of Rich and I's getting back together only could have worked in the terms of of us tackling shake your money maker because enrich would tell you as well like you know the second shake your money maker became what it was we mm -hmm. ran away from it in a million miles uh to the dismay of all the grown adult corporate money fuckers around us at all times you know my when i hear shake your money maker and when i go back to those kids going in that studio right. It takes me back, not in a nostalgic way, but in a philosophical way and in a cultural way to how important like the American heart, you know, we were black flag and dead Kennedys and circle jerks and millions of dead cops. And that took us, takes us into the gun club and X and the flesh eaters. And that LA shit takes me to the Paisley underground, the dream syndicate and the rain parade. And then we have REM and all the jangly kind of 60s inspired stuff, art school stuff, Let's Active, the DBs, REM, you know. Then we have all the English stuff we love, you know, The Cure, Echo and the Bunnymen, Susie and the Banshees, you know. Um, I, it's, it's, and it's funny because the pandemic is, has put a lot of focus on how much I love music, you know what I mean? Like I've never not loved music, but it's like, wow, how much the music means when I'm making dinner for me and Camille or, you know, when we have our bubble people who are all safe and sound and you know what I'm saying? Like, and the emphasis of that and how, how I'll bring that back around to being those kids that went in the studio, there's so much passion and love and inspiration in, in that, you know, uh, right. I come from probably one of the last eras of loser culture. You know what I mean? Of uh, what what we what we wanted to give the world. This is like as kids and musicians in Atlanta was bohemian culture. Was 
beatnik culture. You know what I mean? We wanted madness and drunkenness and anything that wasn't this sort of suburban reality or the frater- frat boy, Southern frat guy thing or, or business shit. You know what I mean? Or fucking, yeah. you know, we, we want, we, we felt that there was still a wild uh, streak in the wind and uh, and rock and roll because of our precarious moment in time in the mid you know late to mid century was for a lot of us not just something that was exciting but something that we believed in you know right, what I mean right, right. I could have chosen a lot of different paths in my life that would have uh, that would have been in a in a typical counterculture bohemian uh mold but i really liked rock and roll you know what i mean was there a fallback though was there a fallback position that- i never had one no? okay. it's funny because i have good friends who you know i i think part of never looking back was is important i mean i remember i was <laughs> i had a uh, an interview at bennington university in vermont that had like the most prestigious creative writing program in America at the time in the mid eighties, early eighties, mid eighties. And I was a horrible student, but I had had a therapist who like knew someone who knew someone who said, you got to look past this kid's grades. I I thought I was going to be like a writer, like a real writer. Uh, It's a good thing you didn't, Chris. I'm a writer. No (laughs) money in it, buddy. Even when you write books. No, no, trust me. I I had no money. No money. I, I thought I would just teach you know, English lit at a, or, you know, French literature at a, you know, at a cool college and try to write a novel. But on, I mean, my parents hated the idea of music, you know, just because they saw it, you know, my dad had gone through it and there's a lot of unsavory aspects to the music business. And they just didn't think probably that I, that I could make it, you know. But it was a 16-hour drive from Atlanta to Vermont to, for my interview. And before we left our fucking subdivision, in my mind, I cut out anything else except being in a rock and roll band. Wow. I didn't tell, I didn't tell them. I didn't say, turn the car around. You know what I mean? I, we did it, yeah. and it, was, yeah, you went it wasn't good, you know. But I, at the time, that was like... But your poor parents, now it's not just you, it's your brother too. They have two kids determined to do this and they hate the idea and they have to deal with it in double digits here. Look, you know, my poor parents, they, you know, that that was part of Rich and I's weird thing. Like I was the black sheep and the one making bad decisions. But even though Rich was there with me, whatever Rich was doing was kind of okay. You know what I mean? Mom always liked him best. Was that the case? Mom always liked I just, him. You know, it's funny. Now that we're older, we both know we're equally crazy. We're equally, you know, whether it's my dyslexic world, whether it's Rich's weird OCD world, you know what I mean? Like what, whatever we are, we're different. And we don't, and after, and we don't exist in the normal world. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. um, now, Growing up, I don't think mom and dad, you know, it was easier. My emotions are more on the surface. I'm a Sagittarian, you know, like I said, mm-hmm. I've, I feel within me that the, the poet rages, you know. And right. so I was just more trouble than rich. 
You know what I mean? Rich didn't drink and Rich didn't experiment with drugs. You know what I mean? I was more, right. Right. Uh, but, but uh, you know what I mean? As, as time moves on, it's, Rich was equally as crazy. It was just mine was more outward and his was more inward. You know, you know I was going to ask this question later, but I'll ask it now. What is this thing about brothers in a band? Ray and Dave Davies, the Oasis guys, that creates such a tenuous relationship when peering at it from the outside, one would think, ah, oh, it's your brother, you know, you, you're you all in line and you got the security there. Well, I mean, again, that's that's like saying that families are strong and families are, no I mean, you know what I mean? They're yeah. not. A lot of times they're the most fucked up thing in the world. Right. Uh, I think in Rich and I's case, you know, we rock, rock and roll. That's a good storyline, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's right. nice company between Phil and Don Everly and the, the Kinks. Yeah. And, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's funny because my wife, you know, over the last year, if we, you know, revisited some Black Crows history. She was like, fuck, they were really playing up. You and Rich hating each other, man, since day one. Y'all well, didn't, didn't, didn't have a chance. Yeah. You know, and then that dynamic is something easy to control us. You know what I mean? Like to, you know, your kids and like, and we're punk. We have a punk uh, yeah. element to the way we dealt with the business and to other fucking people and shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. We thought, you know, that was how it was. We were here to fucking, you know, we'll put, we'll write great songs and put on a great show, but don't fuck with us, you know? But we were constantly being fucked with because it's all about greed and status and money. Right. You know what I'm saying? No one ever, you know, and that's the classic story. I have no issue with it. I have no uh, regrets or anything like that. It's part of the mythology in a way, you know. I mean, exactly, uh, and something that doesn't exist anymore. You know, rock and roll and that that trajectory that we experienced, those fucking things. That's over. You know what I mean? No kids are going to get in a band and have their parents hate them and think. You know what I mean? Now it's like you go and you get your teeth whitened and you go on a TV show and you sing good and you're you're we're supposed to think you're an artist or something. You know, well, that's true. Uh, but when this album came out there is a certain trajectory there that you were shifting to. You know, you were kind of, I don't know if, it, if you were um, revisiting rock and roll, reviving it, renovating it, whatever you were doing though, but you brought it, well, you did, you brought it back to, um, you know, I always think of the Stones and the Faces and uh, Led Zeppelin and, and that sort of, well, the Cramps and the Stooges and yeah, fucking yeah. Chuck Berry and Louis right. Jordan and Bo Diddley, you know what I mean? Like, but we definitely were purists in our and whatever we were into, we liked the the purest form, you know. It was a major statement at the time. It really was. Well, it was funny. I was doing a a, a really tedious guitar magazine interview earlier, <laughs> but <laughs> I hope but, this uh, is a tedious uh, American song. <laughs> But yeah. I'm far more close to an American songwriter than I am. I whatever. Okay. Right. You know, the I won't thing, ask you about what chords and riffs and yeah, you know, gear that. and stuff. But yeah, the thing was, you know, we made a real conscious effort. You know, Rich only had one amp and two guitars. George got an amp sent from L.A. We didn't have shit. You know, we didn't have 
cool shit yet. You know what I mean? Uh, but we fuck, you know, there's a, there's another way of, um, uh, you know, I like sometimes making something because with the pieces that you have, instead right. of having everything, which is a right. little bit why digital shit's a little bit of a bummer. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like, if you listen to early electronic music, whether it's new age sort of music or even like Gary Newman as like the real, you know, kind of biggest commercial part of that. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that easy to make, you know, you're still making records, you know, Kraftwerk is making records. They're not, you're not just pressing buttons and quickly right. whipping through the exactly. digital shit, you know, which is right. cool too. I, I, you know, like you can have more time to do other stuff in the studio, but we really, we didn't think anyone really would listen, but we knew, you know, we didn't sound like Guns N' Roses. We didn't sound like Metallica. We didn't sound like the cult. Uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't sound like the replacements, you know, like we, the, the the things that we, you know, Rich wasn't the greatest guitar player, but like the, just the way the guitar sound on Shake Your Money Maker was different. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like there wasn't anything like that at the time, you know? Um, and I think, but but we did that completely just because we were like, cool, we might not ever get to make another record. You know what I mean? Who did, there was never a, a spark there was never a glimpse of doing this for 30 years but then you 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 had such incredible success with the album you walked in you were unknown guys wanted Dude, we were great looking you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. well no but i'm saying that album got such widespread acclaim sold so well and all of a sudden you were kind of on top of the stack with one album I mean, what was that like? Well, those first couple of years were really wild. I mean, you know what I mean? Just like disorientating. Not not the part of the things about money and things. That wasn't a thing yet. I mean, it never was a thing for me. That's why everyone would be so bad at me all the time. Um, <laughs> but like when you go, you know, we left Atlanta in, in 19, you know, January 1990. I had one suitcase with two shirts in it and a pair of cowboy boots. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I, we want, we had done weekends and thought we played some shows. I mean, we, that Shake Your Money Maker tour was 20 months at 350 shows. You know, like that shit doesn't happen anymore. So yeah. just to start to figure out how your body is going to deal with, uh, I mean, thank God you're 23, 20, Rich was 20, yeah. I'm 20. You know, you're yeah. young yeah. enough to fucking, yeah. Yeah. you know, go berserk. But a lot, there's a lot of people in the world that were great musicians. They just, it's, it's insane life to go do that. But Kind of like I imagine being a pirate or something. Like, okay, I like this. You know what I mean? Like, so right. you have to eat a, a boiled rat occasionally or whatever. You know? Did it? Did it necessarily set a high bar for your uh, for the Southern Harmony? I mean, did you suddenly feel like, well, you know, we've set, we've established ourselves at this level. Now we have to at least match that. 
we have expectations. I, I, mean, expectations. I, think people, I think people around us were more the grown adult corporate shark fucking status people were definitely mm-hmm. more interested in like nothing is going to be as good as Shake Your Money Maker if it doesn't sell 9 million copies or whatever. Oh my gosh. And <clears throat> I mean, but that's, that's just the way it does the dynamic. Sure. Sure. But for us, I think we felt kind of like wizards. You know what I mean? Like we left with one pair of shoes and a shirt and a bag and we came back with all these powers, not just the power of the, you know, we could wield a certain amount of power now with the record company and the, and this because it was so popular. That's one level. The other level was that when you play every night, 350 nights, and you go from little clubs to big places, you know, opening for, you know, I'm 23 years old and within, you know, two tours, I'm opening for Robert Plant and Steven Tyler, you know, two of the greatest. That's you know, they don't, by the way, I'm like the last front man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> like they don't make that kind of, that that job is gone. I'm like the chimney sweep of rock and roll. You know what I mean? <laughs> the chimney um, sweep of rock and roll. You, yeah. you know, we, our powers, our, our magic powers were our music, you know, because while this is going on, we're, you know, we're playing. Rich is getting so much better. We're, the song, you know, we're also, it hurts, you know, the pain and, you know, disappointment has a, an, and joy. All of it is more magnified. All of it is more enhanced. Right. And then, you know, again, then drugs, Drugs were, are, you know, I'm not talking about the end of the 90s when everyone strung out. I'm talking about, which was cool too, by the way, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about, like, you know, fuck, I never took acid before, really. Now I'm taking acid in my band. I'm into psychedelics. I'm, you know, you know, THC is a, you know, huge part of my daily routine. And, you know, the joke, you know, a mind blown is a mind shown, you know, and we blew our minds, you know, we blew our minds on so many levels uh, that we came back, uh, you know, we didn't go to the crossroads, but we went to the crossroads and you come back and you have all these new tools and you have this whole new, you know, while, while the other band in Atlanta, we're in fucking Tokyo trying to figure out what to order at a shabu shabu place. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, a, it and, and it was cool, but it was mind blowing. And then yeah. we come home with all these new tools and that's where we make Southern Harmony, which okay. is, you know, has really very little to do with Shaker Moneymaker. Right. We don't look the same. We don't sound the same. Right, right, we're right. really involved in like, you know, where we went from the stones and faces. Now there's what traffic, and now there's you know Eric right. Burden and War and Funkadelic and reggae music. You know, all sorts of different funkier things. Our groove changed, and we didn't have, you know, we we were calling our own shots in our own punk rock world. With long hair and velvet bell bottoms, we still thought we were punk, you know. And, but you know, it, the fact that you were able to gain that control—that you didn't have to make a carbon copy of that first album to please the suits—you went in these different directions. That's quite an accomplishment for a relatively new band. I mean, you still were—you had one album, and so to take control like that—it's pretty impressive. I mean, you know. I mean, you know. Again, it, 
we felt that letting other people dictate to us again this is me you know what i'm saying like the other guys in the band rich is rich is like me and rich is stubborn as fuck that way okay but the other guys they're just gonna do what me and rich, what you know at the time you think somebody else in the black crow said we should fucking dress like this instead of like these other motherfuckers you know what i mean like we're gonna look cool First time we had bell bottoms on and shit, people were laughing at us, like at a concert. I was like, y'all will be laughing now. Everybody looked like that two years later, you know? <laughs> I know, that's what I said. I have stuff in my closet. Laugh, laugh at us. It all comes back around, Chris. I got stuff in my closet. It's all fashionable now. It really you know what is. I mean? I'm like, at the time, in 1991, I'm like, laugh at us if you want. Y'all look stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> So, so in the See, midst. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to give you a five minute warning. Oh, damn. Okay. Um, in the midst of all that chaos and figuring out your way and establishing what you wanted to do, looking back now, 30 years later, 30 years later, what are the lessons learned? What What do you keep with you now that's vital to what you do now, how you think now? Um, well, one thing is, I mean, there's a thread through the whole thing that's the same. And that is, you know, I got, I didn't win any popularity contests to be a musician. So for the people that want to say, fuck him, and I don't like his opinion, and he's a loud mouth and mm -hmm. whatever, I don't give a shit. Uh, I, I don't feel the same way I did 20 years ago, but I've always been an outsider. I will always be an outsider. I'm an outsider everywhere I go. And my best friends in the world who are the freakiest, weirdest, most psychedelic angel people, they're usually all the same. You know, I'm lucky because I sing good and I write some good songs. And you know what I'm saying? That, that, that our band would receive the kind of success that we have. The funny thing about Rich, as different as we are, Rich is an outsider as well. You know, that's the culture that spawned us. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it was, uh, and I think that's the real nature of rock and roll. You know what I mean? That's when Jerry Lee Lewis is like standing on top of the piano, yeah. flipping hair back, and people are like, fuck that. That's Steven Tyler saying, wearing all the things that nobody wears. And, yeah. You know, like that, this kind of, you know, Johnny Lydon spitting at people or whatever. Yeah. You know no, no. What I mean? The attitude, man. The attitude as much as the aptitude in my book, you know? Well, I think they have to coexist in almost like a, you know, a DNA <laughs> strand. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, I'd rather not ever do it. I'd rather stop being, who, being a musician or doing this if I ever had to really think or believe that I sold out or that I let somebody else influence me for a buck. Yeah. You know I mean? in, in, in our last minute or so here, what's the plan going forward? Will you resume the reunion tour? What's up with CRB? Um, after the yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, Neil's Neil's suicide put to put the period on the end. Yeah, of the God. I know that's horrible. It's still very hard for all of us. Yeah. You know, again, the Black Crows really helped 
lightning, you know, I lost one brother and I got my real brother back, you know. Uh, but it's about the Black Crows, you know what I mean? We want to get on the road. We put a great band together. Uh, we, This is, you know, Rich and I are really enjoying our, our dynamic, our relationship. We're there for each other. We talk on the phone. Um, that I mean, seems got- unthinkable. Last time I interviewed you and I interviewed Rich, what you're saying now has kind of seemed unthinkable at that. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got, if we all go before, you know, COVID. I mean, I, you know, I found the love of my life. I, you know, go through a horrible divorce. You know, you deal with all these like things that have nothing, the real things. So my, you know, Camille, my wife has really helped me be happy. You know what I mean? And I, so I can be, you know, and, and give me the perspective of, you know, I'm not going to beat myself up. But that like, wow, you know, I'd rather be there for Rich now as, as a brother is better than never being there. Yeah. So we, we're in a good place. We've been writing a fucking ton of Black Crow songs. So eventually we'll, we'll get... Well, be yeah. Album. I mean, so we've been working with George Duculius as a producer. And we're just at the stages of writing and writing and writing. and But it's been really good. And some of the music is fucking fantastic and but but our main focus is to get back on the road and to go play this and and finish what we started and then we'll see what happens you know gotcha well buddy it's it's been a pleasure talking to you again my first ever zoom interview um monumental great you did great (laughs) great because they're recording it and i don't have to transcribe this that's what's great for me that takes forever so Well, enjoy things in Colorado. I'm still bitter. I'm still jealous. I love East Tennessee, but I like Colorado a lot. Little the yeah the just the the scale's a little bigger here. Yeah, yeah, it is. But come visit us on the tour. There's a lot to love here too. Definitely, definitely. Okay, buddy. Right, good to see you. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you both. We'll see you. Big thanks to Chris Robinson and my co-host Lee Zimmerman for that exclusive interview. By the way, check out Lee's book, Tyler Americana Music, Voices, Visionaries, Pioneers of an Honest Sound, available on Amazon. Also, please like, share, and subscribe to my backstage pass on your favorite outlet. See y'all next time. It's Billy Hubbard, Happy Trails. <laughs>